stuff. Uh, and really, I have um, ten things to note about the uh, twelve disciples. Don't be intimidated by that. Um, by that number ten. Uh, but uh, some things that uh, may be better if we, we explore them right off the top that may help us better understand um, the, the topic. So, so some of this basic information about the, the uh, 12 disciples who were later the 12 apostles. I realize that Paul becomes an apostle, but uh, we, we won't be able to, to explore that all that much. Um, Carrie mentioned the uh, John MacArthur book, uh, 12 Ordinary Men. Uh, it's, it's probably the most popular book on it. I've read it several times. I'm reading through it again as we go through this. Really good book. Um, if you like it, he's also done uh, 12 Extraordinary Women, um, which offends me. Uh, and then uh, 12 Unlikely Heroes, something like that. Uh, so it is Samson and I think Gideon and, and some others. So if those are books that you're interested in, uh, we may even have some in the library. I don't, I don't really know. But uh, I've got, I may have all three of those. I had the woman one. Um, but it's hard telling where that thing is. You got so Amanda walked through our women's group at Goshen, I believe, through the twelve, uh, 12 extraordinary. Sorry, ladies, extraordinary women, um, and uh, that was that was always well received. So, uh, but if this is something you're interested in, uh, MacArthur will go in detail uh, and with each of them. I'll pull some stuff from him and some other resources. So, uh, a couple things to know about the twelve disciples. One is. Uh, they come, oh, by the way, these are no particular order. I was too lazy to put them in a fancy order, so I'm just going to get them as I thought of them. Uh, they come from a broad variety of, of, of backgrounds. This is something that I love about the Bible. Uh, the Bible is, you've heard me say, a collection of, of 66 books written by at least 40 authors, uh, crossing a span of at least 1,000 years from people of all walk of life, from shepherds to kings. Sometimes they're both a shepherd and a king, um, and everything in between. Uh, and and it, some were educated, some were less educated. Some were rich, some were poor. Uh, some were famous, some were infamous. Some, some weren't hardly known at all. Uh, and the 12 disciples really reflect that. In the 12 disciples, you have people from a variety of backgrounds. For example, at least four of them are fishermen, uh, which, which were not upper-class people. At best, they, they were what we might call middle class. You don't really have a middle class at this time. That's, that's an invention of capitalism in America, by the way, uh, for the most part. Uh, but, but, you know, think of a, a, lower, a lower middle class or even lower class with the fishermen would be. Uh, one guy, at least one guy, worked for the Roman uh, government. That, of course, would be Matthew slash Levi as a tax collector. And then there was a guy who hated the Roman Empire. Uh, his name was Simon the Zealot. He was a domestic terrorist. So, so that's just six of the guys, right? We don't have a lot of background on most of them. Uh, but that's six of the guys who come from a, 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 a broad range of, of a background making up of, of the 12 uh, disciples. Um, likewise, this is interesting. I think it's something worth exploring in more detail. The ministry Jesus had with the 12 disciples, uh, m some of them didn't last for three years. It's, it's not that Jesus woke up one morning and said, you know what I need? I need 12 guys hanging around me because, you know, nothing bad ever came from having a bunch of men around you. I lived with four other guys in a townhouse in Louisville. Uh, it's incredible. Jesus had to be the Messiah to put up with 12 teenage boys, right? I mean, it's, it's incredible. Uh, so uh, we, we get at least two stations where Jesus calls uh, uh, some of his disciples. So in year one, from what we can tell, is when he calls the four fishermen. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, um, and this happens early on. So the context of Matthew 4, the, the immediate event, I think going down to verse 11, is the temptation of Jesus. From that, you get Jesus beginning his ministry, and in that context, assuming there is some chronological reliability here, um, the, uh, Jesus calls the, the first four. And remember, the Gospels aren't written in strict chronology. They're a type of chronology, uh, Luke, from what I can tell, is probably the most chronologically uh, 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 stable. Uh, but even that, it's, it's, it's tough, tough to tell a few things. So we're doing the best we can. But it seems like early on, he called four guys. And assuming Jesus' ministry is three years long, we actually get that from John's gospel. Uh, if it weren't for John's gospel, we would probably assume Jesus' ministry is probably like a year and a half, two years. Because he mentions um, uh, two or three Passovers. So, so you got to fit them in there. So you hear when he calls that. Also, uh, around that time, he calls Matthew, the tax collector. So there's at least five hanging around early on. But it isn't until probably year two that he calls 
um, some of the others. And, and this, is, this is our main text here because we're going to spend some time in it. So in Matthew chapter 10, verse 1 to 4, he called to him his 12 disciples. The language suggests they were already there, um, but maybe knew. Um, but it's here that Matthew puts it. He gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who was called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, uh, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector. I think he's a comma there. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So it's very likely that there was, there was a time when the uh, band of brothers was much smaller than the 12. Um, and and I, I think, I think we'll, we'll come to it later. I think there's more reasons to you can prove that. But uh, I think that's something that's interesting. So some of these guys would have only been with Jesus for a year or two. Uh, you think that if, if you're going to be uh, the primary means by which the church reaches the Roman Empire, you're going to spend two years with the guy. I mean, that's... That's pretty incredible when you think about it. Uh, I mean, you can't preach in a Southern Baptist church without going to seminary for at least three years, right? It's in the Bible, you know. Um, you know, so you know John the Southern Baptist went to uh, seminary nearby um, and uh, studied there for at least three years. He was going to finish the Ph.D., but, you know, just uh, didn't have the head for it. No, no, okay. All right. <laughs> Is it too soon to make a John the Baptist joke? Is it too soon? Yeesh. All right, so, uh, but you imagine spend a year or two with Jesus, and, and uh, that was sufficient. Now, this was a typical way rabbis would, would spread their messages. They would, they would focus in on a group of disciples, and they would follow them around everywhere. Uh, we don't quite do it like that. There are some precedents for it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer did something similar uh, during um, Hitler's Germany. Uh, in fact, we looked at one of his books on that called Life Together several years ago. Uh, so the third thing is uh, the disciples were probably teenagers. Uh, now this fascinates me. Now, when I say teenagers, I do mean teenagers, uh, but they could be in their young 20s. And we've got several young men in their young 20s. Uh, here, we've got two here today. And so, uh, um, um, you know, what's, what's y'all's excuse, right? Uh, but but I, think I, I think I can... Prove that it's likely that they were younger-ish. Okay. Yes, Andrew. You're 20 in four days. Look at you growing up on us. I tell you what. Uh, all right. So first reason is Jesus was around 30 when he began his ministry, calling disciples. We say around because there is some considerable debate as to the actual birth of Jesus. I know what you're saying to yourself, self. Jesus was born zero A.D. It's, 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 our, it's our calendar, yeah. But this is what happened. The Catholic Church is what happened, okay? So you need, you need to assume that when the Catholic Church made the decision, something <laughs> went awry. And so they got, I believe he was a monk, and, then, and his job was to fix the calendar. Start with Jesus, all right? And he does that. Problem is, is he got some of the dates wrong. And from what we can tell, Jesus is probably born around 5 or 6 B.C. So, um, um, and so if Jesus starts his ministry in 30 AD, he's actually 35. Or if he's 30, it would have started, you know, at 25 AD. So, so did he start in AD 30 or was he 30 when he started? I don't know because I have a life and I don't want to spend forever on that question. Um, but there's, there's plenty of people who, who find this, this stuff fascinating. But let's just say for the sake of argument, Jesus is 30. It's not going to make that big of a difference if he's 30, 35, 25 or or, or whatever. But assuming he's 30, just use a, 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 a compromise there, uh, it, it's, it's, it was typical for the disciples of a rabbi to be younger. So if you're 30, 25 may not be young enough, right? Um, but 15, 20 very well might be. Um, secondly, uh, we know from the first four that were called, the fishermen, they still worked with their fathers. And, and the average span here of, of most lives is probably in the 40. You have a high mortality rate among infants, so that, that kind of affects it. Um, so Jesus isn't an old man when he's crucified, but he's not a young man. Remember, you become an adult as a man. You're considered an adult around age 13, bar mitzvah. And you would be expected to be married around age 15 or 16. Uh, this is why I always think... 
we make a mistake in our culture and with perpetual adolescence, we push adulthood back. When uh, you think about it, um, like my son is 12, and I told him this, next year you're an adult. Right? <laughs> yeah, according to the Bible, you're an adult, and I expect you to act like it. Right? Um, so, so we err with teenagers and give them less responsibility, old enough to know better, but still too young to care. Right? Isn't, isn't that the doctrine? If it comes to country music, no, it has to be true. Uh, we actually should be making the, the, the opposite decision. Anyways, um, so uh, they're still working with their father under the assumption they will take over his fishing business. So they're young enough their father is still living. And it's likely a Zebedee. We know nothing about him, but it's likely those in Galilee knew Zebedee quite well because the way you knew who these boys were was who their daddy was. And, and it, almost every time they're introduced, we, they're connected to, to their father, but we don't know anything about them. Thirdly, Peter was married. Right, so, so that means he's not 10, right? Um, but uh, it, it does give us something to, to, to go with. Remember that, that teenage girls are probably getting married between 13 and 15, somewhere around there. Uh, boys are getting married between 14 and 16, something like that. Um, no pressure, young people. Um, but uh, uh, we do the opposite. Why? Because we care about money more than marriage. We care about careers more than children. Uh, so we keep telling kids, put, put it off, put it off. Rather, what we need to be saying is grow up, grow up, grow up. Here's, here's a little secret. This will get me in trouble. So you parents can, can contradict me privately at home. But let me say it publicly. It is possible to go to school and be married at the same time. I've done it. It happened. I got up at 530 uh, every Monday morning. Yeah, Mondays were the worst, is where I tell all my classes. That was with a, a toddler and an infant in the house that I occasionally helped with. While writing a thesis and was in class by 8.30, you lost an hour from Breckenridge County to Louisville. Lost an hour, then had to do So you had to leave three hours early, essentially, just to get the class to spend all day there, go visit our one member in Louisville, and come home in time for dinner, then do all the assignments and still be a, a husband and father. Not to mention a pastor. you got to stick that in there somewhere. It can be done. You may kill yourself in the process, but if you have life insurance, your spouse won't care. <laughs> right? I mean, that's that's... It is possible to do that. I've said this before. My one regret in life is that I didn't marry my, my wife a year or two earlier than I did. We would have been disowned by, by our parents, but it's my one, re, one regret in, in life. That I didn't get stock in Amazon about 10 years ago. Um, uh, that was a joke, too. Um, uh, fourthly, John lived until the 90s AD. So let's just say uh, it's year 30 AD, and John the Apostle... Uh, the beloved disciple is 30, right? He's, he's best buds. They went to school together, graduated from uh, Possum Ridge, Owen County in Nazareth. And uh, he makes it until the year uh, 95. <laughs> he's, he's up there in age. And very rare for someone to live that long. Some did, but very rare for someone to live that long, particularly someone who suffered as he did. It, it makes more sense if he's a teenager uh, and making it to, to the 90s. And that's assuming the... Uh, those dates for the epistles and revelation. Fifthly, uh, serious students continue training at the age of 12. Um, and so you would go to school between age 5 and 12. Just and, and part of that would be religious studies. And if you were a serious student of the Bible, of theology, you want to be a rabbi or a priest, or you had to be a uh, Levi, of course, that would begin after the age of 12. And so guys who, who got caught up with rabbis would do so often as, as teenagers. Sixthly, this is why I really believe they were teenagers. They acted like it. Think about it. What 30, 40-year-old man is going to get his feelings hurt unless, of course, they're burning cities down? Well, let's just assume they're normal people. And, and they're going to say, you know what? My feelings are hurt. Jesus, can we call down fire from heaven and consume them? But you know who does do random, strange things like that? Teenagers. Teenagers think in terms of, of solutions. So when, when I, I took a, a youth ministry class at Boyd's, and I was a youth minister at the time, and uh, he, he had us uh, watch, I watched this film like three different classes. It was called The Gospel Blimp. Has anyone ever heard of this? It, it's an old, old short film. It's like 20, 30 minutes long. Basically what it is, these guys want to reach their community for Christ. And so they come up with this idea of getting a gospel blimp. So they, they get this blimp, and they have a sign on it. It's got a Bible verse, and they fly it around. Then eventually, they start throwing out tracks and you know, all this sort of stuff. 
And, and then one of the guys, he, he markets the Gospel Blimp. People are really interested in it. So he becomes the CEO of the Gospel Blimp Corporation, you know, and it just keeps building out. Eventually, one of the guys that helped start it, started in his own backyard, uh, he says, you know what, this is too much. I think we've lost the vision for it. He goes next door to his new neighbor and builds a relationship, and his next-door neighbor eventually gets saved. So when he tells all of his gospel blimp friends that his next-door neighbor accepted Christ, they go, what was it? Was it the tracks we threw out from the sky? Was it, was it the John 3.16 verse? All that sort of stuff, right? Well, that's what you would expect from a teenager. If we do this big thing, um, it'll work. And then when you say no, how does a teenager typically respond? Do you not love Jesus as much as I do? Well, of course. But there's no room in our budget for a gospel blimp. <laughs> <laughs> right? Right? So teenagers are really good with fresh ideas, big ideas, and are passionate about things. What they lack sometimes is, is the practical side of things. Right? There's a lot of things I like to do here at the church. Can't. Right? We're still trying to pay off that, that debt. <laughs> no, that, that's kind of, kind of difficult to do. And there's some limitations that, that we have here. Right? Um, we can't have a, a fog machine in a sanctuary like this. Right? It just wouldn't, wouldn't work as well. Hey, this is Brody's idea. Brody, man, you know, you can wish that out. Just don't let the deacons know, right? <laughs> you know, we'd hate to have to get another music minister, you know. But, uh, uh, right? But they act like teenagers, don't they? Peter, always foot in mouth. Anyone ever have a teenager like that? You were a teenager like that, right? I mean, the best thing for a teenager to do is, is to not talk. <laughs> I mean, they just want to get in trouble after that. That's Peter all the time. Foot in mouth. I was a youth minister. Had a lot of students come through that. Let me tell you, the disciples were teenagers. It is. They had to be. Had to be. So, so that that's my argument. I'm probably wrong, but that's 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 my argument. And I think it's kind of fun to joke about it. Fourthly, uh, there were more than twelve disciples of Jesus. No disciple is in in uh, quotations. There are the twelve. But don't think it as if Jesus' ministry was limited to to just twelve people. Um, uh, in Luke 10, we won't, we won't turn there. We actually looked at this about a week or two ago. Um, we discovered there are 70, or some translations 72, additional followers of Jesus who are sent out by Jesus. These followers are disciples. Um, there's a helpful book on evangelism. It's one of these standards called The Master's Plan of Evangelism. And the Master's Plan of Evangelism is discipleship. That is, Jesus started, and I'll show you this in more detail later. He started with an inner core, three or four guys. And from that comes another three or four guys. Out of that comes eventually the 12. Out of that, you eventually get the 70 or 72. Out of that, you get like 100, right? And, and that was Jesus. It was multiplication. It's the same thing maybe when you were a kid, your teacher asked, would you rather ha have a penny today and double it every day or, you know, and do that for a month, or would you rather have a million dollars right now? And the answer, of course, is you want it to double every day. Right? That's a good return on investment. And, and that was the master's plan of evangelism. You start small, remember the, the, the leavened and, and the mustard seed parables, and through discipleship and relationship, the, the, it, it expands. That, that's what we get here. So although there are the 12, it's not limited to just 12 people. There's men and women, all that uh, involved. So... Uh, in a few, a, few mo a few occasions, when the Gospels are referring to these 12 men, uh, it'll call them the 12. So he appointed, uh, uh, wait, is that that's the one I want? Yeah, he, he appointed 12. Other places it calls them the 12. And that leads to the matter of definitions. What do we mean by disciple? What do we mean by apostle? You'll note here in Matthew 10, they're called the apostles. But you'll find elsewhere in the majority term is disciple, at least in the Gospels. So what's the difference? Well, disciple just means learner. That's why we use it uh, quite a bit today. It could even mean student, which makes sense. If you're a rabbi, which is an Aramaic word for teacher, then the people who follow you are your students. They're disciples. They're learners. And so uh, this shows up in the Gospels, both as a proper pronoun, the disciples, and as a generic noun. For example, in Matthew 10, a disciple is not above his teacher. Well, a student is not above his teacher, right? Um, that's, that makes sense. That's, that's all that, that, that term uh, really means. Um, but it also means that 
it applies not just to a select group of, of young men in the ministry of Jesus. It applies to Christians today. So what we discover from the disciples is a model for discipleship. Right? So this is why we get in Matthew 20, 19, 20. So the one who had disciples tells his disciples, go and make disciples. This is the pattern. It's the master plan of evangelism. So ideally, each and every one of us who have called upon the name of the Lord and be saved, guess what our priority should be? Growing in Christ as his disciple and making disciples that we can mentor. Think about how radically different that would change our churches, how much better our churches would be. If each of us understood, I've got three people at work. It's where I'm doing my discipleship. We happen to all work together or in our neighborhood or in my family or just people I've gone to know over the years, and I'm pouring my life into those three people. Right? And, and that is how we did evangelism. It doesn't mean that we start with, well, you know, the preacher says I have to have someone to disciple. And I know you don't believe the Bible, but could you really help me out with this assignment? But rather, through relationships, uh, we understand that there is an evangelistic relational responsibility that, that we have. Uh, now, imagine if a church of our size, let's say pre-COVID, uh, was doing that. Let's say each of us had two people we were discipling actively. How much better would our church be through that? And who would then come into the church? People prepared to come into the church because they were discipled by members of the church. So think about it. You can have one person with a title trying to disciple everyone publicly, or you can have an entire congregation trying to disciple people privately. It's a much better model that we have. So the one who made disciples calls on his disciples to make disciples. And that command continues today. In fact, it is this passage that William Carey preached from um, in England that led to the modern mission movement. I've told this story before. But he was, because at the time, most assumed this commandment was limited to the twelve. And William Carey said, no, we are disciples called to make disciples. And through that, he ends up going to, uh, did he go to India? I don't know. Uh, that's where he and. Adonam Johnson went to Burma, you know? He was the, the father of the American mission movement, uh, him and Luther Rice. Luther Rice uh, would pass through Frankfurt quite a bit to raise money for missions. You don't care about that. Um, so that's the word disciple. What about the word apostle? Apostle just means messenger or one sent out. Um, so this is true um, to describe specific people, the apostles, and it is a generic term. So there are 12 apostles, but at the same time, we're all, in this sense, apostles and that we are sent out. Do you know that Baptists tried to have the office of an apostle? My ancestor was one of them. There was three in Virginia. Um, and Elijah Craig, my ancestor, was one of them. Samuel Harris, who converted him, was, was another. I can't think John Waller was a third. Um, and their job was to have an itinerant ministry they were sent out to all the churches to, to see to it that they, they were doing well. Well, it didn't last long because they're not apostles. I mean, I don't know what else to tell you. We believe there's only 12 proper noun uh, apostles. But in the generic sense, we're all called as missionaries, messengers, to be uh, apostles. Um, uh, yeah, so at the resurrection... Uh, the, the 12 disciples become the, the 12 apostles, and of course Paul comes, comes later. Um, fifthly, there was nothing special about the disciples. This, hopefully this, this will encourage you. Uh, these men were not well-educated. Um, so in Acts chapter 4, remember that two of them are um, in trouble. And it says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized they had been with Jesus. Uh, it, was, it was these two rednecks from Galilee uh, with funny accents. Remember, when, when Peter uh, is denying Jesus, how do they know that he's a Galilean? Because he, he talks like he's from Alabama. Right? That's the way I like to imagine it. He's from Alabama. I mean, it ruins it if Peter has a Boston accent, doesn't it? I mean, it does. He, he he's, sounds like he's an Alabama Crimson Tide fan, right, Andy? Yeah, right, one of those rednecks, right? And so, so here, here's, here's a common guy, uneducated. Now, some may have had some education. Of course, Paul had one later as an apostle. 
What? Good for you. <laughs> I knew you could do it. But uh, so, so they were just common guys. Uh, none of them wrote deep, complicated histories or treaties, right? uh, treatises. Uh, none of them served in government. You know, Matthew sort of did. Um, uh, outside of a few of them, little of their writings have, have survived. Right? The, the, the epistles of the New Testament are comparable to letters at, at this time. But, but they're not written, most of them aren't written with a style of Greek that demonstrates um, uh, great education. Um, so I know First and Second Peter are slightly different in terms of the level of Greek. But you read John's writings, uh, there's a reason if you take elementary Greek, he's the Dr. Seuss of the New Testament. It's where you start. Uh, so whenever I finish elementary Greek, I can almost read every word of the Gospel of John. Occasionally you come across a word that's rare in, in the New Testament. When you take elementary Greek, you know every word used 50 times or more. It's like 95% of the New Testament. Uh, just, just imagine that for a minute. It's a very limited vocabulary you get in the New Testament. Outside of Paul, uh, they're just not very educated. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, and their Greek shows it. It's Koine Greek, opposed to more fancy classical Greek. And, and they're, they're, they're just simple guys. Um, also, we need to note their biographies are very limited. We don't know a whole lot about these guys. Uh, we're going to rely on some tradition, but we don't know a whole lot about them. I just mentioned Zebedee. Uh, James and John are sons of Zebedee. We know nothing about some cat named Zebedee. Don't you want to know the story of, of, of at least the parents who would name his kid Zebedee? I mean, you, you gotta, you know, there's something going on there. You know, I wouldn't name my kids Gerbil Zebedee, you know. Uh, I would try, but I don't think it, it, it would fly. So they're not fancy guys. MacArthur is right when he says the most notable characteristic is that they were just plain ordinary men, which is where he gets the title, the 12 ordinary men. Now, their story as these ordinary guys is not unique to, to Christians. Think about it. First of all, they were converted. We get that in Matthew 4, right? Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed them. And you may be saying that's a commissioning. They're, they're being called to be uh, disciples. But actually, throughout the Gospels, when Jesus calls on people to repent, one of the ways he does it is he calls on them to follow him. So the call of discipleship, the call to conversion, is a call to follow Jesus. Is it too elementary to say that a disciple of Jesus is someone who follows Jesus? Right. Is that too elementary? So, so these guys are converted to the kingdom of God by the preaching of Jesus. Come follow me. And there's evidence that they were familiar with Jesus. Read John's gospel where he goes in more detail with some of, some of their calling. They were also called by Jesus into this. So you get in Matthew 10, he called to him his 12 disciples. He gave them authority. So here they go from mere converts to actually being called to a specific ministry. And this is the training of the twelve. It's the famous F.F. Uh, uh, Bruce book, The Training of the Twelve. It's kind of a technical academic word. Um, but it's, this is something you're interested in. That would be a good look to do. But he actually calls them into it. This is, this is what, what we believe in today. Not everyone is called into a specific ministry. Everyone's called to a ministry, maybe not to a, a vocational ordained ministry. Then they were, uh, oh, Matthew 16, right? Uh, you are Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church. Right? That is a calling. Um, then they are commissioned by Christ. So it isn't just they are called to a ministry. They are sent out by Christ. Right? So what we do in Baptist circles is we have commissioning services. So uh, the state does this, and the uh, North American Mission Board and International Mission Board does this. So each year they'll take all the missionaries they're sending out. So the IMB, for example, they'll have a big commissioning service. You can watch it live a lot of times. Southern Seminary does some, sometimes does something like this. Um, and uh, the, uh, KBC will do something like this. Because we have, I think right now, 52 state church planners. Um, we pray for every week. Hopefully you get the emails. Um, and uh, uh, we, we pray for those each week. Well, uh, they were commissioned by uh, the, the state convention as, as uh, church planners. And we see this, Matthew 10, these 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, Acts 1-8, you will receive power, right? He sends them, sends them out. Sixth thing about the, the 12 is they were given unique authority and power. This is me talking as a Baptist. Uh, we don't believe that the office of apostles, as, descri as, as describes these guys, is around today. That doesn't mean you can't find people who 
have given themselves the title of apostle. There's plenty of them around, and they're almost always charismatic. And, and you know, the joke was always, you know, you meet Apostle Bob, right, some church, and I'm sure there's one Roman Frankfurt somewhere, you know, I always want to ask him, well, what book of the Bible are you writing this week, you know? Um, you know, and why do we need you to preach if you just write a letter and we can just have the preacher take care of it? Um, but, but we don't believe that apostles are around today. However, uh, uh, in the history of the church, this is actually a quite unique belief. Early on, it was believed that the age of the apostles had died. However, it was developed by the Catholic Church that, the, that, the, that it's called apostolic succession is still around. That's the uh, See of Peter. Uh, so the Pope is an apostle. So uh, now, why do you have one, and why did Peter get an heir and not the other cats? I don't know. <laughs> Catholic Church is going to do what the Catholic Church does, right? They just make it up as they go, too. So, so you get one apostle in the Catholic Church. In charismatic circles, they're, they're, they're endless. Um, and uh, I've, I've got a LinkedIn page. And uh, when I set it up right before we came here as part of the search process. Uh, and uh, I, would, I would befriend anyone on LinkedIn. If you wanted to be my, con my connect, you'd be surprised how many apostles around the world wanted to be my friend, my, my business associate through LinkedIn. Like, how many apostles can there be in this world? I mean, Jesus took 12, and he changed the Roman Empire. Do we really need this many around the world right now? Anyways, um, and I'm not sure how they would define some of that, but, but they do. So two things. One, authority. Uh, Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Paul, in 1 Corinthians, he'll say, uh, Jesus didn't say this, but I say this. A lot of people think what Paul is saying is, uh, you can take this with a grain of salt because this doesn't come from Jesus. What he's actually saying is, my words have the equal authority to Jesus. Isn't that what you believe about the Bible? When you read the Gospels, so you read Matthew 10, that has the same authority as 2 Corinthians 9. Just because the, the print color of your Bible changes between those two passages doesn't affect the inspiration and there are no red-letter Bibles in the first century. So, so when Paul says, I'm saying this, not the Lord, he's saying, look, my authority is equal to that as if Jesus came and told you this. Now, imagine if I said that, okay? And I'm not talking about, like, don't cheat on your spouse, right? I mean, surely, we, right? But what I'm doing is Jesus doesn't want you to do this. But what if I said with equal authority, vote for candidate B, right? That's quite a claim. But heretics on TV do it all the time. Right? They make promises to you, like you send me that, that seed money and the Lord's going to give you a lot of money in return. Well, you, you have no authority to say something like that. We believe in Baptist circles, and rightly so, that's why we're here, that the authority of the preacher, authority of the Christian, doesn't come from within, it comes from the Word of God. That's why we prefer verse-by-verse -verse exposition. And, and this is why I don't like soapbox preachers who spend more time with a newspaper in their hand than they do a Bible in their hand. Because any authority we have comes from the apostles and prophets and, and all them. Second thing they have is power. We see this in verse 1, don't we? Jesus called them and gave them authority, that is power, over the unclean spirits that cast them out, that heal every disease and every affliction. Well, I can't do that. Now, there have been a few times in my ministry where, um, uh, you know, I've gone to pray with people or I've taken a group of people to pray for someone, and we believe something happened. I had one lady say, you know, after we prayed, I just felt better. And that's true in general. People usually do feel better when you pray for them because it gives a sense that they're not alone and, and that God has heard them. They're not alone in crying out to God. But this one lady said, look, look, I, I was free to go out of the hospital the next day, and that was impossible before that. I do believe that we can pray and God answers prayer. But let's be honest. No one is touching my U of L winter coat and getting healed from it like they did with Paul, right? It would be awesome if they did. And if you have that, easy. Oh, I should have done Lamar Jackson, right? My Lamar Jackson shirt. I tell you what, I'm outgrowing it. I'll, I'll get you. You can have mine. Um, it's when he, he leapfrogged over the dude. You know, and you know, Paul's in front of the camera in midair. Yeah, yeah, you know, come get you some of that. What's that? What's that guy from Kansas City? What's it? Ah, no one cares. Uh, but uh, you know, uh, you know, so, 
But think about it. If we had that authority today, should we not do something about COVID? This is the problem with the, the prosperity heretics, isn't it? They'll stand up there and say, I can control the weather. That's, that's Kenneth Copeland and, and his, his wife. And yet they still allow Hurricane Laura to destroy the South. <laughs> right? How evil do you have to be? They can control the tornadoes. But my brother lives in Kansas. I'd feel a lot safer if Kenneth Copeland really could do it. And he was out there all going magneto and storm out there. Right? I'd love that. It'd be nice. If they really could heal people, well, that sure would save us a lot of money in insurance, wouldn't it? But they're not because we don't have this authority anymore. We don't have this, this power anymore. Uh, same thing, Mark 6, he called the 12, sent them out two by two, gave them authority over unclean spirits. Mark 6, cast out demons. Uh, you, you see the point. Clearly, they have a special power. Luke 5, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. Interesting, Luke 5, they're doing that already. Um, uh, so the seventh thing is most of the disciples had nicknames. I love this. We won't do all the nicknames as we look at each. One of them is called a mama's boy. I can't wait for that one. I think it's Thaddeus. Um, now, one of the things you need to note here, this is my one chance to show this to you, so I'm going to use it while I can. Um, in today's age, if you find someone who has the same name as your child, it's, it's like discovering someone bought your same prom dress, right? I mean, it's, it's, we're weird when it comes to names. Like my wife's name is Amanda. So is everyone of her generation, right? I, but my name's Kyle, and I remember for one, for one year of my life, I had two other guys in the same youth group with me named Kyle. And it was awesome for about 10 minutes. You know, it was awesome because I, I didn't really know any other Kyles growing up, right? And that bothered me. I wanted a normal name. My, my father-in-law always complains, like, what's wrong with normal names, right? All of his grandkids have these weird names like Evangeline and, and stuff, right? And uh, it's a joke, Stinky. It's a joke. And um, what, what he wants are, are Bobs and Carls and, and Cindy's and Sally's, right? I mean, his name's Alvin. He married a Catholic. That was standard. Right? Now, in the Bible, that's, that's the way they wrote. They didn't have these unique names for the most part. There were some out there. You know, there was always that one family in, in, in the small town. But for the most part, they had common names. So here are the most common names in first century Judaism and how often they show up in the New Testament. So you got Simon, uh, Joseph, Eleazar, Lazarus, uh, Judah, Judas. Right? There's a reason why we call the second last book of the Bible Jude. Uh, because you don't want to call him Judas. His name is actually Judas. <laughs> you mean to tell me that half-brother Jesus named Judas? Yeah. Johanna, uh, John, um, Joshua, or Jesus, right? Joshua is the Hebrew rendition of Jesus, which is Greek. Um, Yeshua, or Jesus. Um, and so we, we have several of them. So one of the things you need to note from this, these are, of course, the most common male names. Mary is the most common female name. Or Miriam, named after Moses' sister. Right? Um, and there are others. What's important about this is if, if, if I can send you a lecture that he, he goes in great detail. It's not an accident that I believe the Bible reflects history. The, the Gospels reflect history. So it makes sense that the names that are common in the New Testament were the common names of first century Judaism. And you see that here. You could probably name a handful of the Simons, couldn't you? Yeah. Two of them are disciples, right? So you got to do five. There's two right there. Simon the Cyrene, Simon the Magician, right? You, you, you can do this. Um, well, that was the, one of the most common names, male names. So, so we, we get that in the news. Well, the problem is, is if, if everyone has the name Simon, how do you differentiate this Simon from that Simon, right? Now, I've told you the story before that when Amanda and I got married, uh, my sister's name is Amanda. So for several years, there were two Amanda McDaniels walking around this earth. Right? You talk about God's judgment, right? He, he clearly had abandoned America. And well, we were living in Louisville, so we had to move our bank accounts out of Boynton into Louisville. So we go to a bank account. I go first. So I like to empty it. We're moving to Louisville. Okay. I knew the lady running it. Uh, she was a year younger, younger than me, uh, younger than us, and she graduated a year, year after, after I did. And then comes the man. She goes, I need to empty it. We're going to have a joint checking account in Louisville. Okay. She types in Amanda, not Phillips, Amanda McDaniel. See, her account was still on Phillips. We had just got married. We still had that new marriage now. And, and so she empties my sister's accounts. So my sister goes, <laughs> you're laughing, yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, um, 
And that is why my brother and sister have left the state and left me for caring for mom and dad. Um, and so my sister called like a few days later and says, please tell me, please tell me you stole all my money, right? You know, my debit card isn't working. I'm like, well, yeah. I mean, we thought it was a bit high, but we thought it was ballpark, you know? And uh, so, so that, that's what happened. That's not the only time that's happened. Uh, she ended up going to the same doctor that, that we had when we had Elijah, my sister did, and they asked my sister how her son was doing. My sister is pregnant with a boy now, but this was several years ago, right? <laughs> you know, she wasn't married, wasn't dating, nothing, right? Well, there's got to be a way to differentiate between two people. So if you're on Facebook, my wife's name is Amanda McDaniel. My sister's name is Mandy. Okay? And I've never called her Mandy. I'll call her sis. But she changed it to Mandy because people were getting confused by that, especially before she got married. Well, we get this in the New Testament. Uh, look, at, uh, look at this list here in Matthew 10. Um, notice there is Simon, who is called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Isn't that interesting? In order to make sure we know who it is we're talking about, the Gospels go out of their way to tell you. By the way, this is true not just for the 12 disciples. There's a number of ways of doing this. You can attach a father's name. So you get James, the son of Zebedee. You can attach their hometown, Jesus of Nazareth, Simon of Cyrene. You can attach family names, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. Uh, that's a great way to differentiate between the 40 other Marys you get in, in, the, in the Gospels. You attach a second name, Simon Peter. Right? Or sometimes call them Cephas, you get in, in, in the Gospels, uh, or, or in even epistles. You attach known associations, Simon the Zealot, Judas the one who betrayed Jesus, or Judas Iscariot would be a place name from what, what we can tell. Mary of Magdala, Mary of Magdalene. Uh, this is common throughout. Um, and so, so they get these nicknames. Again, one of them is probably Mama's Boy, not the real name. Bartholomew here. Uh, isn't a real name. I mean, we, we don't use it anymore. But it's actually the name Nathaniel. Bartholomew means a son of uh, something. I don't know. But it's so Bartholomew was a short way of saying, oh, yeah, that one guy's kid. <laughs> right? Right? Well, growing up in a small town, everyone knew me as uh, uh, Billy Don's boy. Uh, little Moat was, was one guy. Moto. Uh, I had a basketball coach. I always called me Little Moat. You know, I had to keep saying. Uh, Mr. Ware, my name is Kyle. All right, little boat, get out there. You know? uh, well, that was typical. That's Bartholomew. Um, okay, a full-length biography of the 12 requires external sources. Here's, here's the challenge. The book of Acts is not a biography of the 12 disciples. The book of Acts emphasizes two apostles, Peter, and eventually he gets tired of Peter and is all about Paul. And Paul, the story ends with Paul in prison in Rome preaching. The end. It's not even a climax. It just ends. Now that helps us date the book, I believe, but, but that's it. The point of Acts is not to provide a history for later historians. It's to tell us something about the spread of the gospel throughout the Roman world. Remember Acts 1-8, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and, and the uttermost parts of the world. When Paul makes it to Rome, he's essentially reached there. Right? And, and from there, his hope is to go to Spain. So the, so, so the book of Acts uh, accomplishes what, what it, it, it had intended. Uh, so that means we must, we must go to uh, tradition. For example, uh, what happened to Peter after the events of Acts? Uh, he's hardly mentioned any, anywhere else in the New Testament outside of First and Second Peter. Uh, where did Matthew go after the ascension? He's barely even referenced in, in, in Acts. Wouldn't, wouldn't you like to know where, where he went? Um, how did Thomas die? Uh, well, to answer these, we, we have to rely on early church tradition. Not all of it is reliable. Some of it is just bizarre stuff. So, so we have to sift through it. For example, some of the traditions we have. Was Andrew crucified on an X cross where he suffered for two days? Ever heard of the cross of St. Andrew? It's a fire frenzy song, baby. The cross of St. Andrew is an X as opposed to, to a T, T. And the reason it's an X is because tradition says he died on an X cross. Those are very common back, back in the day, right? Um, what about uh, John the Apostle, uh, the one who wrote Revelation? Uh, did he suffer by being boiled in oil while in Ephesus? Oh, where, where did that story come from? What about Nathaniel? Did he take the gospel as far as Armenia? 
Uh, what about Simon the Zealot? Did he take the gospel to the British Isle? If so, can we trace our lineage as Christians, you're, you know, mostly British, European, uh, to, to Simon the Zealot? Uh, isn't that fascinating? Um, and you thought it was uh, Patrick who, who did all that. Um, here's the thing, here's, but here's the problem with it is not all of it is reliable. Uh, oh, I, I, didn't, I didn't put it up here. Martin Luther, they put this in the more recent Luther movie. I recommend it to you. It's really good. Uh, but Martin Luther was fond of saying, how is it that 26 of the, tw 26 of the apostles are buried here in Germany? Right. There's only 13, right? <laughs> but there's 26 burial plots, right? And, and the Catholic Church was rampant with relics. In fact, the guy, uh, Luther's elector, had, was overrun with relics. And a big part of the money that paid Luther's salary came from people coming to Frederick the Wise's uh, house and viewing all the relics. So you had milk from, from Mary, the mother of Jesus. You can come see it. The head of John the Baptist. You, you, you can have the bones of the apostles, uh, uh, of thorns from the cross, all this sort of stuff. And you had them all over Europe. Rome was run with them. Germany had them everywhere, everywhere you went. So they're not, not the most reliable stuff. But so we'll do the best we can. Okay. Uh, two last things. The, the, the last one is, is one sentence. But this is worth exploring. Um, once you look at this, the, 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 the disciples are broken down into three groups of four. Here's the first group. Uh, notice that in Matthew 10, which is what we've been looking at, and its parallels, the same four people appear first. Peter is always mentioned first. The other three are out of order. So in Matthew 10, it's Simon, Andrew, James, John. In Mark, it's Simon, Peter, James, um, I highlight the wrong one. Uh, John, the brother James, and Andrew. But in Luke 6, it's Peter, Andrew, James, John. It's still the same four people. What about group two? Notice that they all begin with Philip, and the order doesn't matter after that. Philip, Bartholomew, Nathan, Thomas, Matthew. Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas. Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas. The third group all begin with James, son of Alphaeus. James, Thaddeus, Simon, Judas. James, Thaddeus, Simon, Judas. James, Simon, Judas, Thaddeus. And Judas Iscariot. So, it looks like this. Why is this important? One, it helps us understand some of the other passages in the Bible. Why did Jesus only take an inner three, or in other places, an inner four, uh, for the Transfiguration, the Garden of Gethsemane experience, and some others? Who did he take? Peter, James, John, sometimes Andrew. Who were the first people called? Peter, James, John, Andrew. And what it seems like we have is leadership among the twelve, Simon, Philip, and James, who had responsibility for their little group. Now, we may be reaching here, but that's some of the implications. Think about how often does Peter speak for the disciples? Peter stands up and says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, Matthew 6. John 6, Peter stands up and says, where else will we go? You have the words of life. Peter stands up and says, they may betray you, but I'm not, because I'm the leader of this here band. It's probably the oldest of them, because we know he's married. Some of the others eventually get married, if not already married. Philip has a lot more speaking roles than, say, Nathaniel. Right? And he shows up in, in Acts. James, son of Alphys, don't know much about him, other than really what, what, is, what is right there. Uh, it's interesting. I, I find this stuff fascinating. Something you, you may not pick up uh, otherwise. So, so you have leadership among the, the disciples. So it's not an accident. It is Peter who stands up on the day of Pentecost to preach. He's the leader. So he's named first. One last thing, and you can call him out. You probably wore out. Uh, God changed the world through ordinary men in an extraordinary way. That's really, that, that, that's the whole point. That's the tweet. God changed the world through ordinary men in an extraordinary way. Think about it. Through these ragtag rednecks, change the world. Change the world. And he did it within a generation. But that work didn't stop at that generation. It just increased as they discipled disciples, who were discipling disciples. In fact, we'll probably see this when we go to early church history and tradition. Many of them would trace their authority to their relationship to the apostles. So you may have Polycarp who studied under John the Apostle. 
But then Polycarp's disciples would say, I studied under Polycarp, you studied under John the Apostle. Uh, and and this, this was typical. These guys changed the world. And what an encouragement that is for each of us, isn't it? The world needs to be changed. All it takes is 12 guys, 12 people who are sold out to the gospel and are willing to suffer anything for the good and the cause of Christ. It's that simple. Boy, don't we need it. Think about it. William Carey, single-handedly practically, uh, brought Christianity to an entire nation. Adonair Judson, another example. Uh, Patrick, you know, St. Patrick, same thing. God often does great things to very few people. And I have no doubt he's, he's going to do it again. Did I read recently that China Christians are starting to send missionaries to America? It's about time. I think Africa and China, Asia, South Korea, the South Koreans are already coming uh, to study here. Many of them are, are going to stay. Uh, South Korea, China, all of Africa. May they come here, may they come to all of Europe, because we need to hear the gospel. Yeah. All right, any questions I can dodge? I'm looking forward to this. Uh, Twelve disciples are, are exciting. Yeah, Don? Was Andrew the first who then went to Simon? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's in John's gospel, yeah. Um, Billy Graham's association, they had the uh, Andrew principle. Oh, really? Which was you know, sharing, you know, taking and sharing the gospel with someone else. Yeah, and, you know, we'll have to look at John's gospel. Is it Nathaniel that Jesus says, I saw you under the tree? Is it Nathaniel? Hmm. We'll look at all these examples. We'll look at all 12 of them. And we'll probably spend a week on like the first four. And after that, the amount of information kind of gets less and less. Um, like I don't think we know hardly anything about James, uh, son of Alphaeus or Thaddeus. But, so we could probably do maybe that last group all in one. So I don't plan on us spending nine whole months on the twelve disciples. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, anything else? That's good stuff. I didn't know that about that about Billy Graham evangelistic association. Good deal. All right. Um, how about we stand up and pray? Andy still doesn't want us to hold hands, um, which is awesome for all the introverts, I guess.